Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable, coming to you from Beijing. I'm Lai Ming. Coming up on today's show, a white paper sheds some light on the state of development of China's distant water fishing industry. Why should the average listeners of Roundtable care about what's going on? In some cases, hundreds of thousands knocked miles off China's coast. How does it affect our lives? And internet users across the country are in a hurry to share their opinions about a young lady's encounter on a high-speed train. Being plus-sized, the girl who calls herself Fu Tuntun had to struggle a bit to squeeze herself into the seat. The public opinion is split between criticism over her physical condition and calls for more consideration for people with special needs. We'll break it down for you in just a moment. Now, roundtable. Let's get cracking at the first nut of the day: distant water fishing. To understand the issue, we begin with some background information. For today's discussion, I'm joined by Li Yi and Joshua Cottrell.、Uh, Li Yi, why don't you help us understand the issue?、Uh, uh, what is distant water fishing, and why should we care about it? Yeah, sure. I think for many people, distant water fishing is really a concept that is so unfamiliar. As the name implies, it's actually the practice of fishing in waters that are located far from a country's shoreline or within the exclusive economic zones, which is a concept that we will explain later of other nations. So wait, wait, we're fishing in the exclusive economic zones of other nations. Yes, exactly. So that is actually a key concept, actually here in distant water fishing industry. Well, you know, centuries before, I think people have been like traveling to the vast distances of the ocean to search fish, and of course. Actually, centuries before the concept of this exclusive economic zones, fishing vessels could just make huge. Fortune from the vast area of the global ocean, and、right. then, however, with the introduction of more modern technologies, those fishing vessels are able to travel really far, far away from their own coastline and even to almost any part of the ocean. So that could. Create problems, so thus we need rules, and that comes the concept of this exclusive economic zone. This concept was prescribed by the 1982 United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea. It's basically an area of the sea that extends up to 200 nautical miles or 370.4 kilometers from a coastal state's baseline. Now, within this EEZ or exclusive economic zone, the coastal state has sovereign rights over the exploration and exploitation of marine resources, including fish. Of course, they are able to do their own energy production from natural resources such as water and wind. So, basically, based on this concept. Of EEZ, we have distant water fishing. So that's the global picture of this concept.、Mm. So you, when you say we are fishing in distant water, and especially in the exclusive economic zones of other country, you mean we have reciprocal agreements、uh, with countries who claim the exclusive economic right. Of the region, and so that's that's how we operate when it comes to、uh, distant water fishing.、Um, Josh, you're from the UK, and it's an island nation. I I figure fishing should be a very important part of your life. And just how much does fishing matter in the everyday life of the British people? I think that it plays a massive role. I think that it holds real significance in the United Kingdom, and 
as you said, it's it's an island nation, and so it's been a, an essential part of our industry, particularly for coastal communities. And there's a lot of coastal communities in the United Kingdom because it's, a re I guess, relatively skinny island, um, at least in some parts of it. So that it really holds a lot of cultural and um, social and all sorts of other types of importances. Um, I think that culturally, fishing uh, is is really it comes from a rich heritage in the UK. Um, things like shaping our coastal towns, like my own town of Scarborough in the northeast of England. There's a lot of famous fishing towns, and if you were to ask people, maybe where is the most famous place for fish and chips? It would be in these northeast coastal towns um, like Whitby and Filey and Scarborough, um, my hometown. Um, for for not too many other reasons, then there's just a lot of fishing industry there still to this day. And so there is a lot of employment and livelihood, um, although employment in the fishing industry has definitely declined in the last few decades. It still provides employment opportunities for a lot of people. Um, and I guess, I guess one thing I could say is that people, because of this, people expect fresh seafood um, when they go to a lot of these places. I, I know that I certainly do when I go to fish and chip restaurants in the UK or go to any sort of seafood restaurants if I'm eating. If I do occasionally eat lobster or something like this, as I'm sure you guys know, a lot of lobster comes from the United Kingdom, even around the world. Some of the lobsters that you'll find um, in China may, might have come from the UK. Um, and so we expect it to be sort of caught that day. You'll see a lot of restaurants that will say, you know, fresh catch today and things like that. So I think this also illustrates how important and significant fishing is in our culture. Right. The UK used to do a lot of uh, distant water fishing, especially for cod. And is cod mostly used in fish and chips, uh, the food of cod international renown? Yeah. Yeah, cod and haddock, I think, mm -hmm. are the most common ones. Right. So distant fishing not only shaped the outlook of certain towns in, in the UK, but also, in fact, the practice of distant fishing also, on the part of the UK, also shaped some of the rules and regulations internationally. Yes, in this sector, actually, a very important rule would be the UN's law of the sea, as we mentioned previously. Actually, almost all activities and trade involved in this distant water fishing are actually based on this very important law. Actually, before the emergence of this law, there could be like certain battles and even like little conflicts and wars between fishing countries and coastal states about the really the accountability of this fishing behavior in certain areas. And of course, um, like centuries before, for example, in the 1950s, the United States extended its jurisdiction over all resources on its continental shelf. And then a number of countries extended their three-mile um, territorial sea claims to 12 miles. And then, of course, we saw more uh, distant water fishing fleets vessels, which became more prevalent. And um, then we have like a huge global debate about uh, countries' rights and jurisdictions over the sea over the ocean. And then that could ultimately lead to the creation of this very specific UN Convention on the Law of the Sea. Under this law, actually, the UN 
admits that、uh, coastal countries are solely responsible for the management of their natural resources within their exclusive economic zone, as we mentioned previously. Also, coastal countries can determine their domestic fishing capacity and any other untapped and excess capacity. Which may be sold to other countries. Now, with these rules, we see more negotiation and trade involved in this distant water fishing sector. Particularly, I think a very important concept of this UN Convention on the Law of the Sea is that it recognizes the concept of the freedom of the high sea. Which allows vessels from all countries have the right to fish on the high seas, because in reality, most behaviors—I mean, most distant water fishing—often occurs on these high seas. So this is how the whole industry has been evolving during the past decades, and with I think especially for more technologically advanced vessels being more prevalent on the sea globally, we see more specific and more detailed rules in this regard. Mm-hmm. Surely, distant、uh, water fishing is a very、uh, actually in- energy intensive. I mean, we're talking about sometimes traveling thousands of nautical miles off the coast to look for a potential source of fish. So it's、uh, it's rather energy intensive. Still, is important in the sense that it provides a very、uh, stable and also useful source of protein for any population. So、um, as such,、uh, given that. There is、um, the freedom of the high sea.、Uh, any country that has the capacity to travel afar、uh, into the high sea, into the open sea, and, and the fish should be able to do so. There is the issue of who's overseeing the general operation overall, and who is managing, and who's uh, watching uh, the catch to prevent overfishing. After all, there's a news report by the Independent said the、uh, global catch of Fish since the 1950s has diminished by 80. I mean, there are plenty of reasons to explain the decline, but among them,、uh, overfishing and maybe an aquatic system are to explain here. Josh, what do you think、uh, are the concerns when it comes to、um, having countries traveling beyond their own EEZs and then just fish for whatever、uh, species that they feel like? Well, I think that you've. Just mentioned briefly some of the most important issues here: overfishing, of course, and that's just a general issue with the fishing industry. It's not just distant water fishing, right? But overfishing definitely,、um, I think, can be connected to this,、uh, especially、um, in these targeted fish populations. And and then I think on top of that is, of course, illegal and unregulated fishing. Sometimes it's.、Um, The acronym is IUU, illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing. IUU fishing, and I think that from from what I've read about this, distant water fishing seems to be quite sadly quite deeply associated with、um, IUU fishing as well, where vessels operate, you know, without permission, outside quota limits, with less surveillance in these more distant areas, sometimes、um, in disputed areas as well, and. Uh, you know, using illegal fishing practices as well. There's there's all kinds of practices. F- fishing is highly regulated, and the way that people fish or, and are allowed to fish is also regulated. Things like the amount of fish that you're allowed to catch and damage to the seabed and things like this.、Um, and yeah, I, I guess that the further away you are, it's, it's quite simple. The easier it is to do this more unregulated fishing, but I don't have any accurate statistics on this exactly. So I think that's important to know. It's quite difficult to get those, as is the way with unreported 
um, incidents, right? If they're unreported, it's quite difficult to get well, accurate I, information. Well, sorry, I happen to have certain specific data about the Please. illegal and reported and regulated fishing, uh, as Josh had mentioned previously. I mean, IUU fishing, according to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, illegal and reported and unregulated fishing activities are responsible for the loss of 11 to 26 million tons of fish each year and together they are estimated to have an economic value of 10 to 23 billion US dollars. So that is, of course, the economic loss is a major issue, which is taken into consideration for those fishing countries and coastal countries out there. But meantime, as you mentioned previously, fish or aquatic products is actually a very important source of food uh, for global population, especially considering the population is keeping rising. And, uh, and as some people put it, fish or aquatic products is actually the healthiest nutrition for the world. Thus, it really holds the potential to feed our grandchildren and other generations to come only if we do it in a right way. Mm -hmm. So that is how important to, you know, to conduct sustainable and scientific fishing it is for today's world. Yeah. To give you an idea of the damage we suffer from illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing, according to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, global fisheries and aquaculture production reached an all-time record of 214 million tons in 2020. And within the figure, aquaculture production was 122.6 million tons, accounting for 57%. And when it comes to discussion about um, oversight and regulation with regard to to distant water fishing, China has to come into the spotlight because China is the world's largest source of aquatic products with a total output of 65.5 million tons in 2020. And its aquaculture production, which reached 52.2 million tons in the year, or about 80% of its total aquatic products, also led the world, accounting for about 40% of the global total. And so China does come conduct a lot of uh, distant water fishing. And, and Li Yi, do you have any figures on that about the number of ships involved and the, the amount of catch that we are able to net? Yeah, I think China started to conduct distant water fishing in the year of 1985. And since then, it really had made some significant progress in terms of conducting this distant water fishing in a more scientific way. And now we have latest data on how China has been doing in the sector in 2022. China had 177 approved D. WF or distant water fishing enterprises and over 2,500 vessels, including 1,400 high seas fishing vessels operating in the high seas of the Pacific, Indian, Atlantic Oceans, and the seas around Antarctica, as well as in the waters under the jurisdiction of cooperating countries. So the total catch for the year was around 2.3 million tons. That is the scale, I mean, the overall scale of China's distant water fishing. And however, we are still, say, falling behind of other countries, especially developed countries in terms of fishing vessels and equipment and certain fishing technologies. So that's why I think China has been paying attention to promoting this distant fishing sector to a more well-established and more scientific and sustainable sectors. So China has really released, uh, 
I say several policy documents for better distant water fishing development. For example, in the 14th five-year plan period, which is also 2021 to 2025 and beyond, China will make sustained efforts to promote the concentration and development of the entire distant water fishing industry chain and also to consolidate its foundations and also to increase a more scientific governance of the whole sector. I think that is um, what China has been doing to promote its overall well development of this sector. And particularly, I think, as you said, resource conservation and to guarantee we are really fishing in a more sustainable way is really the key issue of China's efforts now. Mm -hmm. China has also become members of various associations or mechanisms governing or managing distant water fishing in different uh, parts of the uh, world, in fact, uh, or pertaining to uh, various types of fish or species of fish like tuna and salmon and uh, octopus and, and, and such. So China is late in the game in terms of distant water fishing, and it only began to develop in the year 1980s. But before China was on the radar or in the industry, uh, a lot has changed. A lot has undergone in the industry. And to come back to Josh, uh, in your country, I mean, in the UK, there has been a lot of conversations and, and sometimes controversies between uh, the UK and historically the Iceland. I mean, a lot of the uh, disputes with regard to the areas in which UK's distant water fishing fleet can operate uh, really led to the development yeah. of the EEZ. So as such, now um, the UK somehow has seen a drastic decline in the number of distant water fishing and their catch. Um, so uh, because they're not getting a lot of quota under the European mechanism and also not a lot of quota from the countries, Iceland and Norway. So I wonder what is the UK's priority right now in terms of uh, distant water fishing? There's a lot of priorities right now, but I think that the examples you gave um, are, are really good. And what they've led to, one of the main priorities is improved international cooperation and stewardship. So, so these days, the UK is placing much more of an emphasis and importance on international cooperation with countries like Iceland and Norway in order to better manage distant water fishing activities. Um, I can give some examples. Well, it's participating actively in something called regional fisheries management organizations. We've got a lot of acronyms today, right? RFMOs. Um, and this basically means that they're working collaboratively with other nations to be more conservative, um, to conserve and focus on conservation standards and um, things like establishing catch limits as i mentioned before um, and promote sustainable fishing practices so not to use certain techniques that as i mentioned before might destroy the seabed or something like this um, and the the uk also is focusing on bigger initiatives such as climate change and marine pollution and the conservation of marine biodiversity in general so i think that a great focus on things like international cooperation, enhancing surveillance um, and enforcement, and just better communication between nations. 
China and the UK are not the only two countries involved in distant water fishing, of course. But I think by discussing their cases, there is some commonality that that we can find shared by、uh, most countries who engage in distant water fishing, and that is the issue of sustainability. I mean,、uh, fish resources are replenishable if we give them time to restore and restock, but if not properly overseen or、uh, Uh, supervised, there's the, always the case of IUU and causing really real damage, not only economically but also ecologically as well. So some of the common problems shared by everyone involved in DWF and that needs collaboration is how do we manage the quota system and how do we oversee. Uh, ships and entities operating on the high sea here in China, we are trying to、uh, step up oversight in terms of really demanding、uh, the captains or the ships to keep a journal of their cash and and the whereabouts. And also, there is the uh, uh, increasing demand for them to build the infrastructure to、uh, chronicle their their catch in digital in digital form、uh, to allow、uh, better oversight. So, what other、uh, actions have China taken with regard to safeguard marine ecology? Well, I think you just mentioned a really good point here, which is、uh, intelligent fishing system. And I think China has been really promoting information technology, the use of this technology on those vessels, and incorporating them into the all fishing system. Currently, more than 100 tuna fishing vessels, which accounts for about 20% of all tuna fishing vessels in China, have been equipped with electronic monitoring system. I think this can really guarantee a more Scientific way of fishing in the general picture, and then China has also been improving the survey and the monitoring of distant water fishery resources, and they have different assessment and management recommendations, which is based on scientific data. And also, there's another question called bycatch, which is a very important. Issue here in the fishing industry, as we can put it, wherever there's fishing, there's back by catch. So for those out there who are not really familiar with the concept, basically by catch is when you are conducting fishing, when you are fishing certain species you want to capture with the very modern fishing gear, you will accidentally. Catch certain species which are not your targets, which could also be very valuable and precious species living in the ocean. So I think that is a universal problem faced by all those states and、uh, countries who are conducting fishing behavior, especially in distant water fishing. And I think China has also been effectively protecting those valuable species to reduce. The amount of bycatch by, you know, conducting more scientific and precise fishing activities. The issue of bycatch is tricky,、uh, especially for large-scale fishing,、uh, like distant water fishing, where you have、uh, very big trawlers、uh, traveling thousands of nautical miles off the coast and really using very modern technologies. But still, no matter how modern they are, they're not. That intelligent to tell one species from the other, and more often than not,、uh, when you're fishing in distant waters, you're in the sea, and a lot of the deep sea species, when they arrive in the net and when they are、uh, landed, they experience a drastic change in their environment.、Uh, the change in water pressure、uh, will affect their、uh, their swim bladder.、Um, they're likely to explode, and so、uh, if it's a small small scale fishing operation. 
an experienced a sailor or a fisherman would know what to do and simply penetrate the swim bladder and return the fish to the waters, and more likely than not, they will recover from that damage. But when it comes to large-scale fishing, I really honestly think of any smart、uh, way to reduce the damage to bycatch, and、uh, so it really is an area in which. All parties involved in distant water fishing can cooperate and maybe think of a、uh, effective way to reduce the damage to the fish and to the marine ecology. So we've touched upon very, very technical terms here w- with regard to distant water fishing, but really it matters to us a lot because it、um, has to do a lot with our food safety and it has to a lot to do with the ecology of the of the ocean and、uh, more than seventy percent of the. Surface of our planet is water, and if the ecology changes in in the environment, only humans stands to loss from this. So we can't really think, take it too lightly about this issue. As such, we like to bring your attention to distant water fishing.